Welcome to Mytholadies, the podcast where we talk about women from mythology and folklore all over the world. We're your hosts. I'm Lizzie. And I'm Zoe. Lizzie, what have you been up to? How was your St. Patrick's Day? Oh, it was good. I didn't do much, but Kathy brought whiskey to her office and she made Irish coffees for people. Okay. So she good. had a great St. Patrick's Day. That is good. Was that for her new new job? Yeah, for her new copywriting job. Good, she, good. She's already popular. It's fine. <laughs> That's just good. how she is. And also, mm-hmm. apparently, the liquor store had a discount on Bailey's, so happy uh-huh. St. Patrick's Day, Irish people. Yeah, I um, actually did end up going to a liquor store um, on St. Patrick's Day, which is allowed because I am 21. And I heard one of the people <laughs> working there. I was with my dad, too. We were just um, He was looking to get whiskey for his friend whose birthday is actually St. Patrick's Day. Awesome. And I heard the people working there being like, oh, yeah, you know, like the Jameson and the Baileys are just flying off the shelves right now. And I was of like, course. yeah, so true. <laughs> Lots of Irish Americans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of Irish Americans in New England. I've been thinking a lot about how the differences between how St. Patrick's Day must be celebrated in Ireland versus Boston. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I just think it's interesting how it kind of is a holiday for like the diaspora more than like the country itself. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I don't know. All I know is you're supposed to wear, like, green and stuff, which I did. I did wear green. I did wear green. I now live with an Irish person, which means that I have to be Irish adjacent. Yes. hmm Exactly. And it was great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I had a good day. I had a fun time. So before we get started, everyone should know we do have a Kofi. If you want to slide us a few dollars, that would be really awesome. And we will be making bonus content very soon. It is imminent. But like actually soon now. <laughs> like actually soon. You've like we mean it this for a time. Long time. If yeah. you want to find out what we're talking about, you better get there and get ready. Buckle your seatbelts because we're about to go. Exactly. And also we have a website. On your website, you can find transcripts. Um, you can find all our sources if you'd like to know where we got our information from or if you'd like to tell us if some information that we had is wrong For example, we recently got an email from a wonderful listener who informed us that in our La Llorona episode, we had some incorrect information and that um, the story of La Malinche being associated with La Llorona is based on incorrect information. So thank you so much for telling us about that. We really appreciate it. Yes. So yeah. Anyways, Lizzie, who are we talking about this week? Speaking of Latin American vengeful ladies, today we're talking about La Siguanaba from Central American folklore. Oh, Okay. Do you do you know who she is? I've definitely heard of her. That's all I got. <laughs> Great. So her legend varies a lot from place to place, but the general legend is usually that she appears as a beautiful woman to lure men before revealing that she has either a skull for a face or a horse head. Oh, yes. The horse head lady. Yes. Yeah. And another main aspect of her legend is that she punishes unfaithful men and womanizers. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Definitely a really fun legend. There's a lot, a lot of variations. Mm-hmm. Um, as we'll come to see. Many of them I didn't even mention. There's many. but um, mm-hmm. So the legend, it's likely that it was created around the time of Spanish colonization as a way to control the indigenous population, which we'll talk more about later. 
She is known by several different names. I'm using the name La Ciguanaba, uh, which is used in Guatemala, El Salvador, and Mexico. But she's also variantly known as La Ciguanaba. She's also known by La Sucia or La Cigua in Honduras. Mm-hmm. La Cegua in Costa Rica. Sometimes by La Ciguamonta in Guatemala as well. And so the name La Ciguanaba, there are several different proposed etymologies. One states that Ciguanaba comes from the Nahua word Ciguanahuac or Ciguanahuac meaning concubine. Mm-hmm. Another suggests that it comes from the word masihuatli, consisting of the word machlatl, meaning mesh or net, and siwatl, meaning woman, with the combined meaning of woman of the net or mesh, referring to the way she entangles her lovers. Yeah. That's a fun one. Mm-hmm. And la sigua or la sigua, the names used in Honduras and Costa Rica, may have come from the Nahuatl word siwatl, meaning woman. Also, I'm very sorry with my pronunciation. There was a few resources that I found. Yeah. In addition, the Guatemalan historian Adrian Recinos said that Siguanaba means naked woman in an indigenous Guatemalan language, but didn't specify which of the 22 of Guatemala's indigenous languages he was referring to. In one indigenous Guatemalan language, Quiche, the word Siguan means precipice, deep ravine with no return which may have become mm. Siguanaba, referring to the ravine where La Siguanaba leaves her victims. Okay. Yeah, so now we're going to get into the legend. I have versions from several different countries, um, beginning with Guatemala. So in Guatemala City, La Siguanaba is a woman who appears near places with water, such as public fountains, oh. where she bathes with a golden bowl and combs her hair with a golden comb. She runs around the city's public baths and sometimes appears in private homes. She wears a transparent nightgown and makes men follow her and then loses them at some ravine. In the version where she has the face of a horse or skull, this is the point where she turns around and reveals her face. I feel like her main thing is less killing people and more like scaring them so bad that they either go crazy or die or sometimes they escape, but they just Mm -hmm. are really scared. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Her main victims are men who are unfaithful or womanizers, and she appears to them at night, and when they see her bathing, they fall in love with her. When a man falls under her spell, there are a few ways he can save himself. He can protect himself with an amulet by making the sign of the cross, mm-hmm. entrusting himself to some saint, or biting down on a metal object, specifically a knife or machete. Oh. Another way is to drop to the ground. Hold on to a wormwood bush, or Artemisia campestris, which I guess is a bush that's native to Guatemala, mm-hmm. and pull. And then La Ciguanaba feels as though her hair is being pulled and he can escape. Huh. So the reason for this has to do with a legend that says that when the devil was creating La Ciguanaba, he didn't have any materials for her hair, so he made her hair out of this bush. Mm-hmm. So now when anyone pulls on that bush, it feels like her own hair is being pulled. Oh, that is an interesting story. I think it's interesting because of the, like, direct devil association. Like, some of them, mm-hmm. she is meant to be, like, kind of satanic. Others, it's mm-hmm. not mentioned, but that was, it's kind of fun thinking of the devil making her, like, you know, making a little doll, you know? Well, it's <laughs> like, interesting oh, to think hair? that the devil has the power of creation. Is it? I think so. Huh, okay. Expand on that. Well, I'm not really an expert on this, like, area of, I don't even know, do demonology whatever but the idea that the devil which is like evil and the opposite of god in every way also has the power to create things like god does yeah is interesting because it sort of like i think that an important thing is that like god and the devil are like ultimately not equals yeah because that goes against the christian idea of there being only one god because like if the devil is on equal footing at the same level of power as god then like the devil is also a god there's two gods then okay but so they're not on the same level. He's just trying to mess with 
you know, God's creation and turn them towards his ideas and stuff. And so yeah. the idea that the devil has like the same powers as God and like the same strengths as God, especially specifically the power of creation, which seems to me like generally a very positive attribute, you know, like being able to Definitely. create something and give life is like a really good thing generally is, I don't know. I, I think it's an interesting idea. I mean, obviously, like, I don't know <laughs> how much like thought this is a fun little story, but like, I think it's interesting that. Yeah, like, I just yeah, was kind of like fun, like made. ooh, craft time, you know. But um, yeah, yeah, no, you're totally right. Like, I hadn't thought about that, obviously, but mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, you kind of already see this sort of like Christianity associations yeah. here, like mm-hmm. which we'll sort of see more about that a little bit later. But yeah, you can already technically kind of tell this wasn't like a indigenous myth. Like, it's all about mm-hmm. like, oh, you need to sign the cross and then you're saved, yeah. you know. Yeah. In the Guiha region, uh, she can appear at any time of the day or night and takes the appearance of a beautiful woman with long hair. She is seen bathing in the Ostua River or other sources of water and appears to both lustful men and men who are in love. And when she appears to lustful men, she appears as like some beautiful woman, like some anonymous beautiful woman. But when she appears to men in love, she appears as the object of their affection. So like their girlfriend or wife or whatever. Mm-hmm. Which I thought was very interesting. And this one is less like, I feel like this is kind of less about punishing men. Because you're also punishing, punishing men who are in love, like, faithfully. Yeah. Which is interesting. Yeah. And um, one story said that a man went to find his wife who had gone out walking. When he found her, he lifted her up onto the horse and took her back home. When they arrived, she threw herself off the horse and said, Look who I am, and showed him her nails. And when he realized it was Asiquanaba, he was paralyzed with fear. Mm. Some men managed to escape in the ways I described earlier, and others die of fear. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's kind of key that some men actually do escape, because then they get to tell a story to others. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that is key, for sure, in like, stories like this. An origin story from the city of Antigua, Guatemala, says that once she was a beautiful woman with many lovers, and she would kill her lovers when she was tired of them. Mm. And when she died, she was judged by God, who condemned her to return to Earth. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. Yeah, yeah. In this one, it's more God having the power there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Anyway, um, next, El Salvador. So, in El Salvador, La Ciguanaba was originally known as Sibewet, meaning beautiful woman. She married uh, Yesun, a Nawa prince, but when he went off to war, she had affairs with other men. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. From, from one of these affairs, she had a son. Sipipio, who she neglected. She then poisoned her husband in an attempt to steal the throne for a lover of hers, um, but the poison turned Yesun into a two-headed beast who attacked people and then was killed. Hmm. The god Tlaloc condemned Sibelet and had the almighty god curse her. Thereafter, she was known as La Sihuanaba, horrible woman. She hmm. wandered around the countryside looking for men to punish. It is also said that she searches for her son, Sipipio, who was also cursed and remains a young child for eternity. Hmm. Does that remind you of something? La Llorona. Exactly, yeah. yeah. This version is very similar to La Llorona. Yeah. It's also interesting that her legend is similar, but her origin stories are like very different. Yeah. So in Honduras, um, she's known as La Sucia which means, like, dirty girl. La Sucia was once a pretty girl who got engaged when she was 15. On the day of her wedding, the priest asked her to show her baptismal certificate, which she couldn't do since she wasn't baptized. 
The priest then refused to marry them in spite of protests mm. that he just baptized her first and then marry them. He said he wouldn't do that. And so, unable to marry her love, she then sank into a deep depression and her fiancé abandoned her. She started wearing her wedding dress everywhere she went. And uh, one day she was washing clothes at the river mm. when she heard news that her fiancé was now engaged to someone else. Uh-oh. She was so consumed with despair that she jumped off of the cliff, dying instantly. Mm-hmm. Asusia appears near rivers and streams, dressed in white, particularly to drunk men. She appears to them as the object of their affection, or as a figure of a bride, causing the men to run happily towards her until they realize that she is a horrifying monster. Wow. And then in Costa Rica, where she's known as La Segua, her legend is very similar to the Guatemalan version, except for a few variations. Okay. Sometimes she appears among herds of horses, mounted on one, mm. which causes panic. I mean, it'd be very weird to see a girl riding on a horse, but she has a horse's head. Yeah. It's a very strange image. Mm-hmm. Sometimes she can also appear at dances or festivals, where she flirts with men and finds one to lead away into a clearing. And when he tries to kiss her, she transforms into her horse-headed form. In terms of her origins, there's a legend that she was a young, promiscuous woman who wanted to go to a party. And when her mother forbade her, she tried to hit her mother, who then cursed her. Mm. And turned into La Seguanaba. Or La Segua. And then others believe that she's a demonic manifestation. Yeah, I see. So in Mexico, she's known as Masihuatli or Matlasihua and is also connected to La Eshtabai. Yes, I thought she sounded very similar to La Eshtabai. Yeah, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and some say that La Llorona is the same figure, but um, Celsa Lara Figueroa disagrees. Although they have many traits in common, their motivations and character are distinct. Mm-hmm. And... Um, Nasi Guanaba dresses in white. Mm-hmm. Alayron dresses in black, doesn't she? I think she also dresses in white, actually. See, that's I wasn't sure about that because the source of the dressed in black, and I was like, wait, does she? Well, it but she might is vary. similar. They both that have, might be something both... that varies. True. I know and that Lash Sabai dresses in white, though. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this um, source told me that Lash like, like, Sabai is like a different name for this same figure i'm not sure about that because they seem like very different to me like yeah well lodge to buy has a very specific yeah has a specific origin story that doesn't reflect what you've said already any of the stories you've said already right yeah but i guess it all makes sense that all the different like vengeful spirit seductive ladies in the same kind of area would be like linked yeah and there's a lot of them which is very interesting there are a lot of them like, it specifically is. in, like, Central America, there are a lot of vengeful, seductive well, ladies. yeah, like, you have to wonder, like, about all these similarities. Like, there's so many different figures with, like, really similar characteristics. Mm-hmm. And it's just interesting. I don't know if there's been, like, a big study on it. I haven't really found anything about the sort of Yeah, motif, that would be really interesting. It would be really interesting to look into. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't I don't think she's the same as La Llorona or La Eshtabai, but there you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, she's also linked to La Sayona, a vengeful spirit in Venezuela who punishes men who cheat on their wives. Mm-hmm. But other than that, the stories aren't really that similar. La Sayona isn't a horse, so. Yeah. And yeah, so her most common stories obviously involve her as like a adult woman who's like seductive. Um, but there's a few mentions of where she doesn't just appear to men, but also to children. Oh. Um, in which case, she takes on the appearance of the child's mother. Oh. Yeah, isn't that creepy? This is, and, I mean, yeah, that's really creepy. I know. And after being touched by La Siguanaba, the child goes crazy. 
Oh gosh. But this isn't this isn't that common the variant, but yeah. I did see it like once or twice. Mm-hmm. I also saw one that said that sometimes she appears as a child to lure people, but I saw that once and didn't really have a source on it, so I'm not really sure. Mm-hmm. But that could be a possible variant as well. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. I also find it interesting that she doesn't appear to women like at all. Yeah. Yeah, so Sosa Figueroa also connects La Ciguanaba to an old Spanish spirit called La Lavandera, or the laundress, mm. or, you know, washerwoman, yeah. who is seen washing clothes at riverbanks on moonless nights, which I did mention the washing clothes thing. Sounds like a banshee. Oh, does it? I think so. Don't banshees wash clothes of, like, the I don't know. soon-to-be-dead as well as, like, scream? I know, that, I know the screaming part. Yeah. I don't know. But yeah, so he argues that the conception of La Ciguanaba was not something that was previously found in indigenous populations. It was likely a variant of such Spanish figures as La Lavandera. The legend was created mm-hmm. by the colonizers to instill fear in the indigenous population and to like discourage them from going after their women. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like after the, the white women, the colonizers, women. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a quote from Lara Figueroa. Also, this Source was in Spanish. I actually had our friend translate it for me. Mm-hmm. So, quote, They, the conquistadores, needed barriers to live apart from them. To the Spanish, we owe the doors and the windows. They created Andalusian houses to protect their women. End quote. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it really doesn't shock one to hear about this. Like, if you know anything about, like, legends from around colonial times. Yeah. Of, like colonized places like of Mm -hmm. course there's a colonial association as well Mm -hmm. it didn't say this in the article that i'm quoting but i imagine there was a sense of moralistic control like specifically in regards to christianity like um associated with the conversion to christianity Mm -hmm. like they wanted to convert them and for them to behave in ways that they found to be moral like it wasn't just about scaring them but it was also about like Mm -hmm. making it like a good christian society or whatever you know Mm -hmm. so what do you think yeah well i mean i think that this very much sounds like moralistic control i think that well one of the things that really stuck out to me from the beginning was from like the guatemalan story which is when you were talking about how she can appear in the daytime as well as like at night she can appear anywhere and she can appear also like she's sort of an urban spirit as well as you know she can appear in the city as well and so that just kind of sounds like she could be anyone like any woman you see it could be her you could you (laughs) don't know you could like talk to any woman and suddenly she's like has a skull face or like a horse head like you just don't know and like to that extent it feels like it's basically just discouraging men from trying to pursue any woman and Mm. that is like that feels very much like a form of control of like definitely any of these women could be this horrifying spirit so you should just play it safe and not go after any of them it's different than the other stories we have where it's like often oh this woman is found by like a river or this woman is found like in in the forest you know yeah you sort of have that sort of context of like okay if i see a beautiful woman in the forest i should probably not go after her and then like the people who are like oh no i'm gonna go after this beautiful woman in the forest because i want to be with a beautiful woman in the forest are the people who are like you know the most sinful and like lecherous men who (laughs) just can't control themselves because they just need to be with this beautiful woman they see and then they you know get what's coming to them because they yeah that makes sense like don't go in the woods at night don't follow strange women etc yeah like, this like, is more than that but this sometimes. is just kind of like if you go towards any woman like no matter what it could be 
the the horrible demonic woman that we've yeah. been telling you about. Yeah, I do also think it's interesting that like this sort of developed among like a more natural landscape, you know, rivers and whatever mm-hmm. clearings, forests, but then it sort of evolved with like cities mm-hmm. and everything. Like so something I was kind of reading about as well about how it persists in like you know mm-hmm. big cities as well, not just about and like she'll also like lead people out to the rivers Mm -hmm. and forests and whatever yeah but yeah you're totally right yeah and that just it kind of sounds like don't experience any attraction don't experience any lust or else something really awful is going to happen to you yeah lust is bad it's evil yeah so that sounds like very much like a kind of moralistic control especially when you're considered like the sort of anti-miscegenation yeah definitely agenda that the colonizers probably had so definitely yeah Yeah. for sure what do you make of the whole horse thing i don't know i think it's really interesting my okay so my thought my (laughs) thought i don't know so horses do not are not native to north america yeah i read that they were brought by the spanish colonizers yeah so i feel like it's sort of like this i mean i don't know if you had lived you and your family had lived for thousands upon thousands of years in one place and had never seen a horse and then suddenly uh, now horses are there. You would think the horses were weird. The horses are weird. I, we, we are familiar with horses. I mean, all animals yeah. that you've never seen before are weird. Yeah. It's something you're unfamiliar with. It's pretty, it's kind of freaky. See, that's interesting. Because what I was kind of thinking was that like horses at this time of like, you know, the beginning of colonization and like, you know, afterwards, horses were really important. Everyone rode horses everywhere. Like they weren't cars. Horses were really important. Yeah, that's what I was sort of thinking. Like that they're so like of a commonplace everyday animal that it just wasn't yeah. that weird. But see, I was also wondering about the horse thing because I couldn't find anything a really good like analysis about the horse mm-hmm. thing, and I was really wondering like why a horse. Mm-hmm. I didn't find a clear answer, but I uh... yeah, I mean, I think that it's also true that horses played a significant part in the colonization process Definitely. because that's so true. They gave the European colonizers an advantage because you know you're higher up, you can move faster. Mm-hmm. You, you know yeah like, yeah they were used a lot in battle like yeah and so in that way there's a sort of negative connotation there of like this weird thing that's alive but yeah. also sort of being used as like a machine against you is yeah it would definitely be really freaky to like yeah yeah it would be different than if you saw someone with the head of like a more normal animal right like a cat i don't know yeah like a cat or i don't know an animal like a bird that you're familiar with like i don't know. i mean that would still yeah, be it weird. would still be weird <laughs> but yeah but, a horse um, is very specific i mean also yeah, maybe I, they just thought horses were like really ugly and it would be like the worst thing you could possibly imagine <laughs> seeing that on a woman's body case. is a horse's head like can you imagine yeah i mean it would be know? weird do you remember like a few years ago when people were wearing those like horse head masks yeah like, it was like a really common that meme was thing. Really creepy. it was yeah. it was weird i don't i didn't understand it but it's yeah. true it's just weird seeing a human with a horse head <laughs> Yeah. I mean, that could have been it as well. Like, or any combination of those things. Like, you were just like, like, oh my gosh, can you imagine if you were trying to, like, seduce a woman and suddenly she had a horse head? Like, that sounds like a a bad dream that you would have, you know? Like, it really does. And I was thinking about how horses appear a lot in mythology. Like, Mm -hmm. mythological horses, like horses with, like, wings or, like, magical powers or, like, in the Mm -hmm. sea were, like, very, very common. But relatively few creatures were, like, half human, half horse, or, like, human, but with equine features. I know centaurs, centaurs, but, like, other than that, like, um, there was the Angite in the Philippines. 
Greece and um, centauresses in Greek mythology. And um, the other examples I found were like masculine creatures like Polygon from Russian folklore and um, mm. Horse Face or Mamien from Chinese mythology and the Echushka from Scottish folklore. And I weirdly found fewer half-horse type creatures than I thought I would. And that was m- most of them. Interesting. But also she isn't like half-horse. She's like human but with horse-like features and you know what i just kind of realized centaurs are like the opposite because centaurs are like human top horse bottom and she's she's the reverse yeah yeah also centaurs generally don't have a very positive reputation in mythology either do they not no i mean there's obviously chiron who is like the he's the exception but for the most part they're like really raucous they're always drunk they're pillaging and raiding villages and carrying off women like if they're not good oh okay they're yeah. not good people yeah a lot of the yeah. horse creatures that i found were like neutral to negative yeah i mean they're not really like that's interesting you know you're not like going to war against them specifically but you don't want them like near your city basically i mean horses aren't like that scary like they're big and they're powerful but they're not like i don't know it's not like a bear you wouldn't see a horse and run or would you I don't know. Maybe you would. I might depend on the horse. I don't know. (laughs) I also think that probably we might not be able to understand like the amount of power that horses were seen as giving a like a person or a a group of people because of like how the world has changed since like the 1800s. Yeah, I have not been like near a horse basically my whole life. Yeah, like we have cars now and other like giant (laughs) machines, but before a car, it was like the horse was the thing. Yeah, horses were, like, everything. If your army was on horses, you were, like, unstoppable if you were fighting against someone, people yeah. that weren't on horses. Yeah, horses were really the only way of traveling, yeah. other than, you know, walking. Yeah. <laughs> and they were also important in battle. They, I mean, well, actually, I don't know. Were they important in other ways? Maybe. I don't know. I mean, they could probably carry, help carry stuff, you know, like, pull things. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, transport. Carts. And they were, yeah, horses were, like, a big deal. Yeah. So I feel like there's probably a certain level of power that horses embodied that we just don't get now. That's true. Or feel as much. If you live in a place where there's um, a way of going places besides walking, and you had also never seen a horse before, and suddenly people are like riding in on these horses. Yeah. Yeah, that would be really creepy. And you're like, whoa, that person's going like 10 times faster than me, and they aren't (laughs) tired because they're riding on top of this animal that's doing the work for them. Yeah. And um, I, like I said, I didn't really have like a clear answer. I was thinking about it, thinking about like horse symbolism or whatever. I also read in one source that La Siguanaba appeared to herdsmen and just like sort of combined with that about horses being kind of like man's loyal companion and symbolizing like strength and big victory. I thought it was maybe just like frightening for a woman to suddenly have a horse head because of their importance, like I was kind of saying. And um... Apparently, horses can also represent impulsiveness, the impetuousness of desire and virility, um, which go along with Leslie Bonamba's characterization of mm-hmm. as seductive, possibly. Like, yeah, as we were saying, horses are just like powerful. Yeah, if like if you're primarily like agricultural society, if you have horses, they're going to be on your mind a lot more. And the thing with them being very, very linked to the colonizers. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah i think it makes sense even if we don't have like a clear answer of where that came from yeah mm-hmm. yeah but it is definitely it's a very distinct detail like it is it's so specific if someone were to ask me what's when it comes to like encounters how would you know if you had encountered la Estebai versus this woman 
it would be like probably if she had a horse head, you know? Yeah. Like Lyas exactly. horse head, you know? <laughs> exactly. That it definitely is a very distinguishing fe- feature of her. So yeah, it's really distinctive. Yeah. I love how long we're just talking about horses. <laughs> uh, <laughs> horse lore. Um, it was fun. I thought it was really fun. Anyway, so I also want to talk about this is this is for the horse girls out there. <laughs> this is for our horse girl fans, including um Margo. our friend Margot, who help yeah. who helps translate yeah. the thing that I read earlier. <laughs> so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I also want to talk about the sort of water symbolism. Mm-hmm. So um, what do you make of that? The whole water thing? Well, yeah. So this is something I've looked into before because water symbolism plays in so often into this kind of spirit. Yeah. And it's really interesting. And I feel like, well, water can symbolize fertility, which is a big thing. Yes. yes. Um, it's also something that can be both life giving and life taking, you know? Yes. Um, it's both helpful and dangerous. Yeah, I think those are the main things that I've, like, the conclusions that I've drawn from, like, the research that I've looked into for that. Yeah, and um, like I said, like, there's a lot of different variations in her story, but I feel like the one thing that is sort of universal about all the versions is that it's, like, her association with water, like, riverbanks, streams, ravines, lakes, public baths, like, they all basically appear in at least, in most of them, at least in some way, which yeah, I mean, in folklore, women's association with water is really common. It's found in all sorts of cultures that aren't connected to each other. The water aspect of the legend of La Siguanaba can also be seen as a continuation of the original Spanish um, La Lavandera, where she is washing mm. clothes in the river. Yeah. Um, additionally, and like you were saying this, but water can represent fertility, birth and rebirth, transformation. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering if the water motif in the story could have anything to do with baptism. It's like a really, really common association with water in like yeah. literature and stuff, or like some other sort of purification. Like the Honduran story of the young bride who wasn't baptized presents this connection very explicitly. Mm-hmm. Like she literally was like punished because she wasn't baptized, which then sort of led to her becoming this monster. And yeah, and I feel like that really also ties this story with colonialism. Like it's already so tied with colonialism. I feel like the baptism thing could be plausible. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. There's also like a lot of mythology or folklore of like evil creatures not being able to cross running water. Oh, is there? Which is interesting. Yeah. Like vampires in a lot of stories can't cross running water. True. So. Yeah. It's just interesting. I don't know. Because she's not like a sea creature. She's just always near water or in yeah. So she's in water? I don't know. Okay. Well, there was saying sometimes she goes to, like, public fountains and stuff and yeah. bathes. I was just thinking, like, for the woman who didn't get baptized, like, the idea of her being, like, always around the water but never being able to go into it or something. Ah, uh, yeah. But then I she mean, does actually, like, jump off the cliff. I don't know if she jumped off the cliff onto land or into water, but I feel like if it was into water, that would be a good uh, thematic yeah. ending. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like, we were talking a lot about colonialism. Part of me is hesitant to, like, celebrate La Siguanaba the way we normally do, where we're like, oh, my God, she's so cool. Because just with what I know about it being a colonial narrative, mm-hmm. um, that was, like, meant to keep the population yeah. fearful. But on the other hand, there are Central American feminists who have begun to, like, reclaim her story. Cool. Ana Patricia Rodriguez writes in her article, The Fiction of Solidarity, Transfronterista Feminisms, and Anti-Imperialist Struggles in Central American Transnational Narratives, about how La Siguanaba represents the strength of Central American women. So, quote from that, A water spirit representing fertility and life, 
She may also be read as a symbol of female desire, sexuality, strength, resilience, and resistance to patriarchy, neocolonialism, and imperialism. Like La Llorona, La Siguanaba is a survivor of imperialist violence, transcultural mediator, and a survivalist in different worlds. End quote. So even though her legend does have colonial origins, there's also something to be said about how she also embodies the strength and like courage of Central American women and how she is like a protector of women mm-hmm. and how she can also be seen as a survivor of colonial violence, yeah. not just like sort of way of perpetrating it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so the poet Dago Flores wrote a poem called Sibuet, La Ultra Leyenda, where La Ciguanaba isn't an immoral monster, but rather a victim of slander. Mm-hmm. It also portrays her as a survivor of colonial violence who decided to stand up for women and was then punished with the legend as we know it, which is actually full of lies, which I think is an interesting like way of viewing it because it's like, don't believe everything you hear about like evil women. Like Sometimes it's just not like that, which is super fair. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I mean, I'm really glad to hear that there's Central American feminists and writers like sort of taking a totally different approach other than like, this is an evil woman. Yeah. And yeah, I think that's really nice. I think it's a, it was a nice little discovery. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I think that it's a really interesting story. And I think that, I mean, I think all your research is really interesting. I think also that, you know, the influence of the church or colonization on um, Central America is obviously incredibly profoundly impactful. Yeah. I mean, it is very intrinsically tied to this sort of story, not just the Tiguanaba, but also similar figures as well. Yeah, like colonization has like drastically influenced the culture and lives of women in Central America. And so I think that like even still like people today still like swear mm -hmm. in her existence. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that, you know, obviously she is a very significant figure in people's lives. And I think that feminist reclaiming her is really awesome. And yeah, I think her story is like really interesting. The way the thing that like first attracted me to it was the horse thing. I thought it was really interesting Mm -hmm. and fun. And then I learned that she was also, like, punished as abusive men. I thought that was awesome. And um, now I know that she's, like, a colonial little narrative used to control people. Lots of little twists in this story. Yeah. And I mean, I think that the idea that, you know, since she started out, like, she potentially started out as a colonial narrative means that the people that she was, like, imposed on can't do anything about her or, like, change Mm -hmm. her to shape their own ideas and thoughts. Yeah. I think that absolutely they can, you know, she is their figure now. Yeah. No, like, I like the idea that she's not only, or like, not only like a negative symbol of the colonization, but also a victim of this colonization mm-hmm. that she could be sort of like reclaimed. Yeah. I think that's also very nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a very interesting story. Like there are so many variations. Like I didn't even get to yeah, absolutely. say like everything that I came across. And I'm sure there's even more that haven't been written down mm-hmm. or that I didn't come across. But um, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, everyone, for listening. If you enjoyed it, please feel free to subscribe, leave a review, tell all your friends, donate to our Kofi, and we'll be back in two weeks with another episode. Thank you so much. Thank you. See ya. Bye. The Ladies Podcast is produced by Elizabeth LaCroix and Zoe Kenninger. Today's episode was researched and presented by Elizabeth LaCroix. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at MythoLadies and visit us on our website at MythoLadies.com. Our cover art is by Helena Cayo. Our music was written and performed by Icarus Tyree. Thank you for listening. See you next time. Mm-hmm.